Welcome to Jewish Women Talk About Midlife. Hi, I'm Tavara Krasniansky, and I've been coaching women for a long time in all areas of life, and more recently in midlife. Midlife is an exciting time, but it's also sometimes confusing. And so I invite experts to come here to my podcast to talk about different aspects of midlife. You can join in our conversation on our Facebook group, Jewish Women Talk About Midlife. In this episode, I spoke with Matana Popkov Jacobs about mental health in midlife. We spoke about her own mental health journey, her struggles, and how she grew so much from her experiences that she is now so passionate to share with everyone. We spoke about changes and transitions, acceptance, and about finding our own voice and midlife, about the power of gratitude, and some of her favorite sayings that pull her through life. Wow, this is an episode. Good evening, Matina. I'm really excited about this topic. I so enjoy your podcast. So let's start with that. Can you talk about your podcast and how you started that? Sure. So um i'm 46 years old now i i you said midlife i feel like every part of our life is midlife of something right so and mental health is relevant to anything so um my my pod my journey started for with the mental health awareness started when i was 32 years old um when i had my first uh mental health breakdown um i had i was a mom of three, um, very happy-go-lucky, everything was, everything was fine, everything was ordinary, everything was just as it was supposed to be. My, I grew up in Israel, moved to America, married a, a man from America, we moved here, we built, built a home here, and we would travel a lot back to Israel to my family, very close to my family. One of my trips to Israel was right before Shavuot for Bar Mitzvah. I came back, Arab Shavuot, my, I had a full-blown panic attack on the night of Shavuot, my first ever encounter with something that felt like death. And I remember telling my husband, I'm dying tonight. I'm dying. And uh, w- within a few hours, I was in the hospital, EMT. Like, everybody was up on Shavuot night. So I had, like, seven people surround, maybe 15. I don't remember. A lot of uh, Hatzala members, it was like three something in the morning and they were all like, okay, let's get out of shul and we can go to uh, a call. And I was that call. And I remember that in the middle of them talking to me, I lost connection with them. Like I, I wasn't hearing. And the next thing I know, I'm in the hospital and I was sure I was having a stroke, a heart attack. I, I didn't, I, I, I never had anything major. So I just felt like I was dying. I couldn't breathe. I, I couldn't speak. I couldn't walk. Um, I was trembling. They thought they thought I mean, they really thought it was cardiac arrest because they they I remember hearing that they're telling an ambulance to come um, because they thought it was because my heart was so out of normal range. And at like seven o'clock, so I ran all the tests at seven o'clock in the morning. The doctor comes and I did everything. Uh, the EKG, the scans, the blood test, the brain scan. And in the morning, they tell me, you're going home. You're great. You're fine. I'm like, and I look at them. I'm like, no, 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 no. One second. You missed something. You guys missed something. I had a near-death experience just a few hours ago, and I'm not going to forget that. And I'm still feeling weak. Um, Please figure out what it was because I don't want to go home and come back because that I was almost dying. And they said, no, what you what you went through was a heart um was a panic attack. I said, a what? The panic attack. And they printed out this big sheet, like this big folder of like what to do next time you have a panic attack. And I said, what does it come from? What is it? And they're like, oh, it's it's part of anxiety. Read up about it. It's something that has to do with depression, anxiety, heart, um, uh, mental illness. Um, you'll be okay. Next time you have it, just breathe into a brown bag. I'm like, breathe into a brown bag? What does that even mean? Anyway, I they really sent me home. They discharged me. I went home on Shavuos, yeah. And I'm not sleeping for days. I'm not sleeping from anxiety that if I fall asleep, I'm going to die in my sleep. So I was controlling not sleeping. Before I know it, it spiraled to severe depression. Every few minutes, a panic attack. I wasn't eating. I wasn't walking. I was like a zombie. I couldn't take care of my children. I couldn't take care of myself, let alone my children. Um, It declined very, very fast. And then fast forward, 
So this was Shavuos. Fast forward by Tisha B'av, I reached rock, I, I reached rock bottom. And I said, okay, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't fight this anxiety, this depression, this this feeling of hell. I didn't figure out what I'm what this is. And I went to, I called my mother that lives in Israel. And I said, Ima, and it was Tisha B'av. And I went to see the first therapist. I think it was the first therapist. I called my local doctor and I said, I think I'm really, something's wrong with my brain. I don't know what's going on with me. And he said, go to this therapist. He gave me a local therapist that was open on Tisha B'Av that I could get a really a quick appointment. I was shaking in the car. I remember getting to her office and I just said, tell me, tell me you're going to fix me. Tell me, I was like, like this, like I say, I was shaking, shaking like a loaf. Tell me you're going to fix me. Tell me you're going to fix me. I have to heal. I have to heal. I was like literally out of control and on the way back from the therapist I was laying in the back of my car my husband was driving and I called my mother and I said Ima please get on a plane come to America figure out what's wrong with me and promise me promise me you're not going to leave until you figure it out and I'm getting better wow yeah she's like Matana what's wrong I said it's really bad it's really bad I thought I'd be able to control it I don't know what's wrong with me I have to go to doctors. At the time, I still thought that maybe it was like a heart failure or a brain tumor. Or I couldn't, I, it didn't make sense that somebody that was so okay, so functioning on a high level of functioning, like really multi-facet functioning to disable and so fast. And uh, my mother said to me, do you need me to get on a plane during Tisha B'Av? Should I go now to the airport and get on the first plane or should I? first wait for my fast to be over that that was my my mother's like incredible insight like give her the comfort that she comes first like she she gave me that comfort and um she came to america i said you can break your fast and then get on a plane she the next day she was there and i said okay we have to go through all top doctors heart lung brain blood let's rule out everything and she said okay tell me what you need to do in order to feel better you tell me you guide me i'm here and we went within a week and a half or something like that. We went to all the doctors and they ruled out that I'm totally perfect health, perfect health. And I said, okay, so what's left? My brain, that's it. It's just my brain. We have to go to a psychiatrist. And the first psychiatrist was not a good psychiatrist. He just right away put me on medication within a half an hour. He just said, okay, take Prozac, call me in a week. I was suicidal the next morning. The next day I was literally suicidal because my my panic attacks went to a degree that I couldn't control. And um, even though I wanted to live, I kept on saying, I want to live, I want to live, I want to live. Um, but I didn't know what if my brain will take over my body. That was my fear. Will my brain, and I didn't know anything about mental health. I said, will my brain take my, like, do something that I'm afraid of? And um, I called my aunt that's a therapist in the city. And I said, tell me, you send your clients to i want the top psychiatrist and my husband said listen when we're dealing with the brain we go to the top just like we if it was brain surgery we're going to go to the top we're not going to go to just a local brain surgeon if god forbid we need it they said psychiatry is like brain surgery we're going to go to the top and we went to dr parker and i call him my malach he sat with me for three hours an angel an angel he listened he wrote it down he he drew diagrams of what happened to me because I kept on saying, will I get better? Will I get better? Tell me I'm going to get better. I have three children. Tell me I'm going to get better. Tell me I'm going to get better. Like a, like a broken record. And he was explaining step-by-step step what needs, what happened to my brain. What was the, he said that it was a short in the circuit in the brain. And there's either neuroplasticity that you can put it back together, but it takes a lot of mindfulness and a lot of exercise and you need the dopamine. He did, he did the whole neuroplasticity, but he said in the meantime, because you're literally not surviving, we're going to give you medication and we're going to see how you go from there. And he said, medication can take 60 to 90 days to take effect. You're going to see slow relief. In the meantime, you're going to go on two different kinds. He was walking me through it. The nicest, nicest, nicest doctor till today. I'm in touch with him. This was 13 years ago. And even though I'm off medication for over 10 years, over 10 years, I'm off of all my medication and not everybody was, are able to do that. But I was, I was on a path, like I, I knew that I, I was determined to do it. And I went with him on a, on a journey to try to get off medication. 
And um, now he sees a lot of my clients, a lot of my clients that come to me to work on healing their mind with neuroplasticity, go to him for psychiatry. So we work together and it's very, it's very beautiful how it comes full circle. So what happened was I was talking about my journey from day one. I was not embarrassed. I didn't see shame in it. I didn't see any, any secrecy or privacy. The community was supporting me. My friends were supporting me. Everybody was involved. My mother take, took us to Israel after I got on medication. We were there for a few months. I stabilized, came back to America. And then I realized that the medication was numbing me a little bit and I wasn't living alive. I was just surviving. So that was the journey of how I got off my medication. I also wanted to have more children. That's in the next story that I'm not going to get into now. But my podcast came because I was sharing my story so out loud. Everybody was contacting me. Don't tell anybody, but I want to ask you a question. The biggest, it always started, can I ask you something, but don't share it with anyone. It was like the biggest taboo. I said, sure, no problem. And I saw that I didn't have enough time to give, even to reply to text, to reply to email. They didn't have enough time to, and I felt bad. And a few years ago, I said, you know what? I'm just going to start a podcast to start sharing and breaking the stigma because this fear factor of what if people find out was holding back people from healing. That was the biggest thing that I saw coming over and over and over and people reaching out to me. It either, either it was their spouse or their children or their parent or their best friend. The same story that they're afraid to, to get help because what will people think? What will my children think? What will my husband think? What will my mother-in-law think? What will my boss think? And I said, the biggest healing that you can give yourself is the freedom from the secrecy. You don't have to be public like I was, but that shame, once you remove the shame, so much of the healing starts happening. The shame that Brene Brown says, your, your pain is as, as big as your secret. Right. So once you want, you can be private and there's a big difference between privacy and secrecy. You can be very private about it, but not live in the secret of shame. And you can tell the people that you trust and find that tribe that you trust. So my, my goal with the podcast, Hope to Recharge, was to break the stigma, to share my story, to bring others sharing their stories. Then it blew up and became like on the top 100 in the first few, I think, weeks. And people were just emailing me left and right. And they were like, oh, when is the next episode coming, up, coming, coming out? And I was realizing that I was giving hope. One husband taught, uh, emailed me the most beautiful email. And he said, you are my wife's stick that's keeping her alive. Wow. She's holding on to you. I download your episodes. She cuddles underneath her covers. And she listens to it. And then she listens to it again and again. And he said, please keep them coming because this is what's keeping her alive. I was getting these emails from random people all over the world. Another border, somebody that was just diagnosed with borderline, a lady that was in Utah. And she said, I, was, I thought I'm going to get divorced because my husband didn't know what I had. And then I figured out like from your podcast that maybe I'm borderline. So I went to a therapist and that, that's what I really had. And now I have hope. And I was like, these stories were heartwarming. And then it would just, it became week after week after week. And, um, and that's where I am now. And, and then after, and then I realized that the podcast just opened a tiny little hole to see how much need there is out there, especially in the Orthodox world to break the stigma, especially, especially in the Orthodox world, to hold space for that fear, to hold space for that, that shame and to free women and to um hold their hand while they get to their recovery and um and that's what i do uh, a lot of my day i so i either speak about hope and recovery through neuroplasticity i'm a big believer in neuroplasticity the rewiring of the brain even if you're taking medication i'm a strong believer that it's not either or it's together and and i see my and i see clients and i help them when they want to help themselves Wow. I love the name of your podcast, Hope to Recharge. I think it's that without word hope. Because yeah. it really we can come out of it. We can move past the, the heaviness of it. Right. So you work with a lot of clients. What do you see is happening for women in midlife specifically around mental health? 
so what I see a lot with midlife specifically, I see there's an awakening. There's suddenly awakening of them saying, wait, was I living my life until now? Was I living somebody else's life? And I'm, I, am, am I willing to, to devote my next 40 or 50 years to somebody else's either core values, beliefs, systems? And they're like, wait, where, where was I in this picture until now? Until now I was on automatic. I thought I was part of something. I thought this is what I want. But it no longer sounds familiar or something that I want to be a part of. Right. And they're detaching from the story that they were told or that they thought themselves, they were telling themselves. And they're like, something is not real here. Something feels dead. Something feels off. And it could be in relationships. It could be with work. It could be with their children. It could be with themselves. It could be a lot of things. But a lot of times I feel like this little awakening of saying, okay, I'm no longer willing to stay in this place. I'm no longer and I'm going to go and research. So it could be a low-grade depression. It could be anxiety. It could be sadness. It could be frustration of, of like, I'm no longer, like, I'm done. I'm done being quiet. I'm done being okay with just okay. I want more. I want to thrive. I want to, I see that women from 35 to 45 are thriving, thriving when they take action. Until then, they're coasting because they're surviving. They're just surviving life work, children, schools, whatever they are. If it's a profession, they're surviving. So there's so many, so many tasks on their plate. They don't have time or mindfulness to say, wait, what about me? Where, where was I? And then like 40, 45, sometimes even earlier for me, it was 35 because I had early ovarian failure. I stopped giving birth earlier and then I had a baby. That was another, but I wasn't supposed to have, supposed to, God wanted me to have it, but I was told that I'm not going to have children. And, and I'm, I'm I was basically in menopause when I was 30 something, very young, very, very young. Um, and, and that's when I had my awakening. So I say that like people have a, that awakening, very few have an awakening of what midlife have at 20, because there's still that it's like that playfulness that, okay, maybe next year, maybe next year. When you hit like 35, 40, you're like, okay, let's get serious about life. What do we want? What are we doing? What did we do the last 25 years? Where are we? And 50, even more so. 50, they're like buckling down. Either a new career or, or a, a, a moving. There's a lot of transition. And they're taking themselves seriously for the first time maybe in their life. And it's fascinating to watch and it's inspiring. And I don't think that my mother's generation was the same way. I think social media, I think awareness, I think breaking the stigma is giving permission for women to take action and to say, oh, we matter. And so when they take this action, so like they have this idea that they want to change. Right. And then they actually have to make the change. Is that something <laughs> that you work? <laughs> So I always say before the first, first step of any change is awareness. That's the first step of just awareness. You don't have to know where you're going hundred percent, but you have to know, I no longer want to be here. This is not where I belong. I always say, check in with your core values and check in on them a few times a year. Check in on them like the new year, the, the English new year, the Jewish new year on your birthday. Are these my core values or am I living somebody else's core values? What core values were my core values and which ones did I outgrow? Which, one, which, which core values align with me and which not? So once you have the awareness is the first step. Then there's acceptance. Acceptance is sometimes the longest period of time that you hover in. Because that you're, you're trying to like, no, maybe I don't need to because change, everybody knows change is hard. And being in the place that is known is so much easier than being in a new place that is unknown, even if it's beautiful and promising because change is hard. So, so that acceptance time takes a lot of time and there's a tug of war. Yes, no, yes, no. And then there's financials, there's beliefs, there's religion, there's children, there's spouse, there's time. And there's like, wait, do I really want this? And there's belonging, there's worthiness, all these things start coming up. So that part of acceptance is long. Once the acceptance happens and you say, okay, I'm committed, I'm in, I need a change. 
I'm no longer here and I'm accepting the fact that I'm changing, then the change comes so much easier and the willingness to show up is already a joy. It's already like, oh, let's see. You're ready at the gym. You're ready on the, you're ready on the treadmill. It's not before you go to LA Fitness and check out, do I need, do I have time? Should I, should I even make a, uh, um, a membership? You already made the membership. You, you, you decided what your goal of your workout is. You maybe even decided what classes you're going to take and what days you're going to go. And you're on that treadmill. And then you're just like excited. Okay, when am I going to see the treadmill again? When am I going to pick up the weights again? And you're looking forward to change. Now you don't see the change right away, but you feel the, you smell the smell of hope and excitement and you start noticing things. And then the change happens slowly until Mavisling. Change happens all the time, all the time, all the time. We spoke last week and I told you that we have many changes in life, many changes in life. It's from single to married or from single from elementary school to high school, from high school to college or to yeshiva or to work or to from college. If sometimes you get married, do we have then to um, maybe children or not children or career? There's changes. Then we move. Do we move countries? Do we move states? Do we move jobs? Do all these changes, the transition between them can be very difficult. It could be all very positive changes from a good job to a better job, from, from America to Israel, from single to married to joy, from, from being a young couple to children, from a, from a baby to a toddler, from a toddler to going to school, all these things. The transitions are so hard to a beautiful thing. And we have to remember the transition is not the end goal. It's what happens in between. But the end goal is beautiful. So we have to stick out through the transition. And that's the brain work that I, a lot of times I, when I work with my clients is about that transition part between our old self and the place we want to be. And we keep on transitioning. And every year we can transition a little bit more and a little bit more. And then we start falling in love with a new person that we are. And then sometimes we abandon a, a part of ourselves where we no longer want to be a part of or people in our environment that we are more aware they're not people that I want to hang out with. And you become very clear on boundaries, on self-care, and it becomes addictive and it becomes so fun and it becomes familiar and it becomes freedom. But the transition takes time, a lot of time, but it can become, but it becomes something that you're, you're, you're working in it and it's, and you see some outcome slowly and you can come out of a of a good like gym workout and you're like wow I sweat a lot do you see any change in your muscles or in your body mass or in your weight loss or whatever probably not but you felt like oh I did a good workout so I say that's when you when you do the brain health that brain exercise uh, I'm like you suddenly feel like wow I get it like Brene Brown calls out the messy middle yes yes right you just have to go through it. And I also love the book uh, by Bruce Feiler, Life is in the Transitions. Right. Oh, fantastic. 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 Because you no longer, you no longer resist it. You understand it. So he actually breaks it down into the understanding the transition is part of it. And some people don't like it, but the more you understand how the transitions work and what type of person you are in the transition. So I think that's a great book. Yeah. Yeah. And to notice who you are, as you said, like what to expect, you know, like the book, what to expect when you're expecting. So what, are, what to expect during transition with my traits, with my behaviors, with my history. And, and how with my circumstances. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Did I start the transition or did the transition happen to me, which is really for me? Right, and, right. And, and I think a lot of people have a lot of resistance, especially when the transition happens to them, for them, rather they than they chose it. They think it happened to them well when nothing happened to them to, right that's why i said to them for them i said right 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 and that's part to, of the transition right right it's possible sometimes we start our own transitions by starting to go to the gym or starting to go to school again right. or changing right. careers but sometimes things happen at us right or for us right and it's hard and even that in itself is a transition to how to see it i once had a very good friend that was getting divorced and 
and I, I use this with my clients all the time, this analogy, and I love it. And I love it, love it, love it. Cause it, it, it just goes to every kind of change and transition. And I knew that she wasn't happy for many years. And I knew that she was in a very lonely, hard marriage. And I asked her after, I think she was married for 25 years. She was divorced once in the beginning. She was, she was she got married Hasidish, very young. She was married for a week maybe. And then she got divorced and just remarried. Then when she got divorced after 25 years, she had about eight or nine children at the time. And I said to her, why now? And what happened? Like, what happened that you left now? Like, half your kids are married. Like, what was that, like, change in your mind? What happened in your marriage? What, what, what happened that you said now? And, and she said something so beautiful. She said, Martha, now listen. My whole married life, I knew that this is now where, where I'm happy. I knew that I, it will need to change. But I, say to, I said to myself, if I'm leaving because I'm running away, it's not the right time. When I'm leaving, when I know nothing about what's going to happen as soon as I leave this marriage, when I walk out and I leave and I say, maybe I'll, I'll still be miserable afterwards. And maybe I don't, maybe it's going to be worse, but I'm leaving because I no longer belong here. My belonging is no more here. So I cannot stay here another day. And it's time for me to leave no matter what happens when I walk out. And she said, I knew that for many years I was running away. And I said, I need to go with peace because I don't belong, not because I'm running away. And I'm like, wow, that is the most beautiful thing because sometimes we're running away from things that are in our lives. But are we choosing to come to a place of, I just don't belong here and I don't know what is going to come next. And I'm willing to come with curiosity. I'm willing to come with awareness. I'm willing to come and learn. I'm willing to fall apart in order to put myself together. I'm ready, not because it's better out there, because I no longer belong here. And we uh, recently, Dr. Bieberfeld spoke also. She said something similar. And I think it's important to really understand why you want to make that transition, what's really happening for you. And for so many years, we were doing a different life, whether it was because it was sort of expected for us or it was, and now when we have this awakening, sometimes we decide that we want to stay and make some changes and sometimes, or stay in our job and make some changes or stay in our life and make some changes, or stay in our city. Or sometimes we choose that we want to do something very different. Yeah. But she also did say that do with a lot of forethought and don't just jump out of just because I can't do this anymore. It has to have some thoughts. Yeah, you have to have a thought, but a thought can also be, I'm ready to, I, I believe that a thought can be, I'm ready to overcome whatever is going to happen next, but I'm, I'm done with this chapter. I'm done. I have no law. I have nothing to give in this chapter anymore. And if I don't step out of it, I will never know what's on the other side in the next chapter. And, and sometimes it's 25 years of thinking about, about that. You know, I don't belong. I'm, 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 I, I, this chapter is messy. This chapter is not pretty. But I want to go to the next chapter. But I'm not ready. So that readiness of turning the page, I'm ready. Okay. That, and I think that that's the difference between running away versus walking out and saying, I'm done. Not with anger, not with resentment, not with that I'm doing it to, to gain my life back. No, I no longer belong here. And sometimes when we do it with that resentment, there's too much energy in that resentment to actually to oh, start building up a new life. And, base, and so many times I see with clients, so many times I say, before you go into the next chapter, let's heal what was broken from the previous chapter because you're going to recreate it if you're coming with the same energy. If you don't heal those ener that energy, if you don't heal what was broken, if you don't reflect and see what needs attention, probably you'll create it again because you don't know otherwise. Because your body, your structure doesn't know a, a different way. So naturally, it just fall into the same patterns. So how do we move to the next chapter with healing what was not okay in the previous chapter? And looking forward and reflecting and saying, okay, what part needs attention? 
And we see that a lot with, especially at this at this stage, where we just want to make a change, but we don't know what to do. It just something has. So, what do you help people do in that part? So usually, I when when I do a regular before before anybody starts working with me, I say I ask them, "What is the biggest hurdle that's going on in your life now that's getting you stuck?" And 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 uh, just to, I have a few questions that's very that people usually don't think about. I'm like, I'm just sad, I'm just tired, I'm just frustrated, I just have no life to me. I just don't want to do anything anymore. But step, take a step back. Ask yourself, what's the biggest hurdle in your recovery or in your change? What what do you want to change to? What is not working that you want to work? And what are you willing to do? How much are you willing to do? What are you willing to be makriv, to sacrifice in order to get there? And maybe it's 5% now, and maybe it's just learning, and maybe it's just reflecting. But usually, 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 right away, the answer is there. Because there's like a few questions that become very clear, very clear. What they want, what's the first thing, what's the biggest um, hurdle in the way is usually where the answer is. Because if you, for example, somebody will say to me, um, I'm trying to think of a, a recent, um, someone recently said, um, I have so much anxiety, I can't sleep at night, and I, but, but I need, and I need to get up in the morning to go to, she, she's in medical school, and I said, so what's the hurdle, what's the hurdle for you? And she said, my anxiety. And then we break down. So right away, I understand that she wants to work on her anxiety because if her anxiety is what's preventing her from sleeping, then she can't get up in the morning. Then her day next day is, is bad. And then she's failing in school. Okay, anxiety. Do you know what is the major part of your anxiety right now? Did you have it before? Is it something new? Do you know how it comes? Like, what part of the day does it come from? Do you, is it before, is it first thing in the morning? Is it from a person? And very fast we 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 see. Okay, for her was anxiety. Somebody else was her spouse. Somebody else was her um, finances. I want to do this, but I can't. My, it's my finances. Okay, let's let's look at what your history with finances in general. Like, what's your what's your relationship with finances? Do you say to yourself? I have no choice. I have. I hear so much. This is a broken record. I have no choice. I can't. It's a, first of all, you can. You do have choices, but maybe the choices are not so beautiful. And it feels like you don't have a choice, but you're choosing every day. Every day there's a choice. And you're a part of that choice, so you're no longer a victim. So once they realize that they're part of it and there's decision-making, suddenly they're empowered and suddenly they make bigger decisions. And... It could be tiny little changes that create bigger decisions, but it's no longer, it's happening to me. I'm part of the process of it. So it's just saying, what is the hurdle? For me, a hurdle will be now time. If, right. I, if somebody would ask me, what's your biggest hurdle? I would say, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. Too much going on. I have too many dreams, too many aspirations, too many projects. I don't have enough time. Okay, so do you want to make time? Matana, what's important to you? Do you want to make time? Or maybe you're saying, okay, for the next year, I'm totally okay staying in where what I'm doing now. And it might not be in the dream place of, of whatever it is, but other things are more important. And I'm not willing to take away time from that. And it's okay. And then there's acceptance. And there's, oh, wow, I'm in control. There's acceptance. There's no longer, oh my God, I'm not doing it. No, Matana, that's exactly where you need to be. Perfect. The idea of seasons, and so that you're, but you're t knowing that it's your, your season. You're actually choosing the season. It's you choosing. Want to be. It's with awareness. It's awareness and saying this is more. And that was go. I always check into my core values. What core values am I? Am I not giving enough attention? What core values am I feeling guilty? My subconscious is feeling guilty because I'm not showing up for them. Where do I want to give more attention to my core values? What core values do I want to let go of? In order to make time, maybe, maybe. And maybe not, but these things are part of the whole mindfulness work. And I'm very big into mindfulness. Two things I think really helped me heal and get off of my medication. 
the breath work that I did for my anxiety to reduce, to see, to be able to control my panic attacks, to not have them anymore. Unless there's terrible, terrible turbulence, I could still trigger myself a, a, a panic attack, but I allow myself. I'm like, okay, I allow myself during turbulence to have a panic attack. I'll breathe through it. I'll maybe even take a little bit of a medication. I always travel with, with medication just in case there's turbulence. But, but I know I don't have panic attacks anymore. So I learned how to breathe. I learned how to say no. I learned how to say no, which I didn't know before. To have value, even if I say no. Gratitude, I don't go a day. There's no day without multiple gratitudes. It's just automatic. And it's not because I'm holy and it's not because I'm spiritual. It's because it's my IV for life. It's my literally my IV for life. If I, don't, if I go a day without gratitude, I'm depleted. I'm not living alive. I'm, and it doesn't even happen. It just doesn't even happen. Because well, there's, so many, so, there's so many opportunities for gratitude when you really start looking at it. It's part of the way I see things already. There's no, even in the most dire times, I tap into gratitude. In the peak of COVID, in the peak peak of COVID, when I realized that my my anxiety was going high because just people were dying and it was just, I first of all, I disconnected. I, I, don't, I don't watch the news. I, I told my family, you're not allowed to tell me anything that's going on unless it's a rule. I don't want to know stats. I don't want to know. I don't want to know anything besides if it's a law. And every two hours, I'm doing a gratitude meditation. That was for me to be able to keep going. And I was really doing well because I was practicing what was important to me. So what was your gratitude meditation like? So every, every two hours. So like, then, sorry, could be even, oh, so the every two hours could be very easy. I go into my room, I lock myself in my room, or if I don't, I'll, I'll if, at the time, if I had a child, I'll put them on, and I just close my eyes, and I breathe in and out, it could be two minutes, it could be five minutes, it could be 10 minutes, and I go down the list, and it comes flowing, I, now I have to put a stopwatch, because I can go into a trance of like an hour, just, and it comes, and it comes, and I start, and I start with my breath, I'm just feeling it up my nose, it's going down my throat, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm, I'm getting nurtured. Like I'm getting my, I'm breathing on my own. Then I start feeling like, okay, where am I feeling stress? Okay. Can I relax it? I'm grateful for that. And then all of the blessings that start coming in my mind, I was able to make breakfast. I was able to eat. I was able to walk. I was able to um, do laundry. I have water. I, I was able to um, take my children to school. Oh, they came home from school. They got up on their own. The alarm clock went off on time. There was light, there was heat, there's food in the refrigerator. I was able to cook. I was able to use a knife on my own. And it just goes in, in, in a minute, my relationships, my technology, technology was one that kept on repeating every single gratitude meditation. I, I was grateful for technology, it kept on coming to me. I'm so grateful for technology. I can be in touch with my parents. I could see them, they're not alone. We, we were able to order things online because of technology, Amazon. So many things, Zoom, my kids were seeing their friends. So technology became one of my number one gratitude. The breath was big during COVID. And my eyes and my bed is always my gratitude. I love my bed. I love every night, every night I get into my bed and I just like, I am so grateful that I can end my day in the silence in my cozy bed because for years my bed was my health, my misery was counting the seconds till the sun comes up. Every night I was up all night with panic attacks, with anxiety, with, with, with the night terrors that the night's not gonna end and then it comes five o'clock and I can't function. And then I sleep through the day. So I hated my bed, even though it held space for me to run away from my depression. But now I'm so grateful I can go into my bed to recharge with joy. So are your gratitudes the same every day? No, no, no. So I have a gratitude meditation that I do every morning, every morning. And then I say my nishmat. And then uh, every 30 days, I choose what I'm highlighting. 40 days, sorry, every 40 days, I choose what I'm highlighting through that nishmat. But there's always a gratitude meditation before I get out in the morning, before I open my eyes. I do a 30 second to a minute meditation. Sometimes if they have more time, I'll do two minutes before I get out of bed. I just breathe and I'm feeling the linen. I'm feeling the skin on my on the linen. I'm feeling the air. Is it cold? Is it hot? Is there air conditioner? Is there heat? Is there light? 
is that whatever whatever I'm you know is there silence still in the house what what am I what am I feeling are the kids already like what what am I tapping into and then I get up after my kids leave I go into a, a ritual of a 15 to 20 minute meditation with with my there's a few like very like that I do affirmations and I do my nishmat and then I and then it's just whatever I feel that that day throughout the day I could stop for a few minutes here and there and I just like I go into it during dinner by us it's all about gratitude and my kids make fun of me I'm like mommy you say it every night I'm like yeah because I feel it every night I just feel it and it's part of our it's part of our lingo already in our house my daughter has this gratitude thing that she blackboard whiteboard that she writes on every day what she's grateful for before she goes to school she has a journal it's part of our language and then before I go to sleep, I do like a 10 to 15 minute meditation. And then if I have time, I'll just, I'll also do an abundance meditation to like bring in the next day. We end every day with bringing in the next day. So they have to meet end, you know? Yeah, so what does that look like? So I, I just go into a very, very beautiful place of Zen, of intimacy with God, literally intimacy with God. And I count all the blessing of the day even things that didn't work out so it's not like oh my god i'm grateful for my child being sick so let's say my child was sick i'm so grateful that i live in america and i have good doctors i'm so grateful that he's in bed and i'm home i'm so grateful that i had tylenol i'm so grateful like and it's right away to those things i'm grateful that my husband's going to help me through the night with him i'm grateful that they're sleeping or whatever it is that I have the the heating. So if there's, or if something went bad financially, what went good around it? You don't have to be grateful for the negative, for the hard things. I'm very big into acceptance of the bad, of the hard. Don't try to fight it. Don't try to say, oh, I'm grateful for something that's really painful. No, accept it. It's really hard. I'm feeling really sad. I'm feeling really broken. This is hurts me this is really 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 hard give it a lot of space matana what do you need now how can i help you what will make you feel better now do you need do you need a tea do you need sleep do you need time do you need somebody to cuddle with do you need do you need um do you need a therapy session what do you need now what can help you even though i'm feeling this way i still love and accept myself and i'm still choosing to see what went good for me today even though i'm feeling really sad broken shattered whatever it is angry resentful all of the emotions come all of them i'm choosing i'm choosing to right now be in gratitude and hold space for my sadness my pain my and what are you going to do with it what are you going to do are you going to set boundaries what are you going to learn from it sometimes i'm in too much pain to learn lessons sometimes it's at the end of the week but I always do like in Hebrew, you say hafakat lekachim, hafakat like what 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 are like um, um, outcomes like that you learn from this? Like what did we learn from this? And and I'm very aware, which part of my mental illness came because I had zero awareness, zero boundaries, zero awareness, um, no filters on my brain, on my surroundings, on my friendships, on my on who I give my time to, who I give my love to, who I give my joy to, who I connect with. It was like, oh, everybody come, here's Matana, and Matana is here for everyone all the time. And I still struggle with that. I still, it's still a constant struggle, but I'm much more aware and mindful. And the mindfulness is a daily practice of just what am I feeling now? Where am I? What, 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 is, what is working? What is not working right here, right now? Not, not in five minutes, right here, right now. And I close my eyes and I'm like, okay, where are you? Okay, you're good. You're good. What are you hearing? What are you tasting? What are you feeling? Come to the now. Just come to the now. Be mindful. And in midlife, there's a lot of things happening, a lot of changes. And there's Tons. sometimes a lot of things happening and a lot of good things. So while we can have the big changes, there's lots of, for, depending, of course, your family dynamics and whatnot, and friends and family. Some people have grandchildren at this point and weddings, and so weddings are wonderful and stressful. Right. And so, so you can hold the both. You can hold that yes. it is stressful. Yes, yes. And it's, and it's wonderful. Yeah. So I say, 
remember to enjoy the joy. My biggest bracha to people before a simcha, you're going to have a lot of the satana mashchit, I call it, the satana mashchit that comes into, to really like, oh my God, it's a simcha, but the stress. And I said, don't forget to enjoy the joy. Be in the joy. You did so much to, or in the chagim, you did so much to get here. Remember the joy, bring in the joy. Tap into it because it's a joyful experience. Yes, you're going to have all the others and it's going to come all the other negative feelings or hard feelings or whatever it is. They're going to be there. Give them attention. But remember also to give attention to the joy part. Like some people were telling me about when the grandchildren come and it becomes this big stress, but they're, your grand, they're the grandchildren. And, and so there's a mess. So there's the mess. And I got to play with my grandchildren. And so, or, right. Or, or, wow, I was hoping I will be the grandmother that will really love playing with my grandchildren a lot, but I'm seeing maybe that's not me and that's okay. We have a, a, a hashtag in our house and that's okay. No uh -huh. judgment. And that's okay. I was hoping that I would be that fun bubby or that fun grandma that can spend a lot of time, but I see that I get really stressed. So this is what's going to work for me so I can enjoy them when they're here so is it this time of the day is it this time of the week is it these time of the, not every every week maybe every other week which ones come together or not who get along and it's all sometimes new to us so we're not it's a new part of us that's coming to the game and we're like wait what works for us or not with no judgment no judgment so what do i want i want to be joyful i want to be present so how can i get there and maybe it's a little bit now and a little bit more later but when you remove the judgment and ask yourself what you need and you're saying, that's okay, that's okay. Listen, I, I gave birth when I was 42 years old. I was so past children because I thought I already grieved the past. I'm not going to have children because I was diagnosed with early ovarian failure and I had six miscarriages. I'm like, there's no, there's no babies coming. I closed that door. I grieved. I, I, I was done. And then a baby comes and I'm like, what? I'm going back to diapers. I'm going back to bottles. I'm going back to like thinking about anybody but myself and the kids are in school. And it was a whole new thing. And I had to give myself a lot of grace that I outgrew the young matana and it's okay. And it's okay. I'm in a different chapter in life. And yes, my little Mishael gets a different mommy than my Nachliel that was, that's 20. And that's okay. And give myself grace and no judgment. And it's also okay if your adult children are not 100% thrilled of what you're doing, of your choices. Oh, it, they, they maybe wanted Bubby to be able to babysit whenever they want. 100%. And I love that. And that's okay that they're not and happy. And that's okay. And don't, and don't define your worthiness by their disappointment. Don't define your worthiness or how good you are or how you, okay you are by other people's disappointment because people are going to be disappointed all the time because it's expectation what their expectation is if they don't receive it they're disappointed so when you don't meet their expectation you disappointed them so right now they're putting you you're you're you just went down a notch but that's only in their eyes don't let other people's thought about you bring your value in yourself down and saying that's okay and give space for that oh my god it's really it's really sad that my kids don't see me and it's about me giving them and my value but when we give ourselves what we need and we show up for ourselves we reflect that to others and that's i'm saying it in a sentence it's an avoda it could take uh, uh, 10 years it's an avoda but when we realize it we no longer come with this extreme pain and then we can project, we can project our boundaries with confidence rather than I'm so sorry. And, that, and I think they end up taking it better from us when we say it with confidence. Yeah. And, and explaining versus I'm the mean mommy that's selfish. No, mommy also has needs. I would love to. I'm tired. I did raising children for 25 years. I love them. I thought I would be more, but let's, how, let's see what, we, what could work out for me that could work out for you. And let's talk about it. Versus the hush-hush. Usually the hush-hush, the expectations, the resentment is what brings the explosions internal, internally. And being the older one, being the parent, then you can bring up, with the confidence, you can have that conversation. They may not be able to bring it up or want to bring it up. 
uh, we're very open in our house. We're very, very, I'm very into communication. My kids are very into, like, if something's bothering you, bring it up. Don't be ashamed. We're not perfect. We're here to change. We're here to evolve. We're here to learn. I have my past traumas that might be coming off on my children. And I want them to tell me. I want them to tell me. My, my son gave us such a beautiful awareness of, a few months ago. And I was very big into saying, no chutzpah. Derech Eretz, Derech Eretz, Derech Eretz, Derech Eretz. You talk with Derech Eretz, no chutzpah. And, and it was something that I was brought up, but it was natural for us. Like, of course, you talk to Yimei Naba with Derech Eretz and with respect. And I saw that there was a lot of, like, outbursts of, of, like, anger and resentment. And I said, Shmael, what's going on? And he said, if you want me to respect you, it's not something you demand. It's something that you earn as as a respect like if, as a human being not yeah. but, but like i'm talking about like from a do we want our kids to respect us or do we want to demand it i don't want to demand respect i want them to naturally respect and he said when you'll respect my wishes and really want to see what i want and not rules this is the way the jacobs family rules and hear me then I know that you respect me as a human and not based on your rules and you're hearing me and maybe the rules won't match and that's okay. But at least hear me, at least understand me. And the last two years, three years, I'm working on listening to understand, not in order to respond. Listening to understand, not in order to respond. That's something that I'm working on for the last, since 2020. And I'm not, I'm not good at it yet. So yeah, tell me more. Tell me more. I'm, I'm going to try not to respond. I want to hear and hold space, even if it's triggering me. I want to understand your point of view. So we're that, that's on. great. We said a lot, and we can, like you said, we can <laughs> hours on this. I love it, and that's okay. Yeah. And your gratitude. We said so much. This was so interesting. Uh, so thank you so much. How can people reach you and the name so, of your podcast? So go. So, so my podcast is hope to recharge.com hope to recharge.com it's on all the platforms on spotify on my on my website you can go and they'll see the apple podcast or whatever um and if you go to hope to recharge.com it's contact there's a contact me so there's also we have on instagram on facebook you'll find me matana popko jacobs you'll find me there all right so thank you so much matana this was so interesting thank you thank you for having me and thank you everyone good night Thank you for joining me in another fascinating conversation about midlife. If you'd like to reach me, Devara Krasniansky, to talk about your midlife or anything else, you can reach me at jewishmidlife at gmail.com and follow us at Jewish Midlife on Instagram and Facebook and join us in our conversations on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Jewish Women Talk About Midlife.